On today's show, we have Dimitri of Subsquid.io. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, team, and possible future token, along with any plans on the roadmap. Subsquid provides APIs for the Web3 ecosystem. Dimitri, thanks for coming on today, and let's start by giving us some background about yourself. Thank you very much. I'm Dimitri, and thanks a lot, Joy, for having me today on this podcast. So I have background in both academic and software engineering worlds. So I started with software like about 10 years ago, doing some data pipelines for a large pharma company. And I was also uh, doing some outsourcing stuff. And uh, back then I switched to an academic path and uh, went to Sweden to get like, another master in international mathematics and went on uh, to pursue a PhD degree. And my career path like took academic way for a while. And then like around 2017, I discovered crypto. And yeah, for the first time, it really seemed to me like something big going on. I definitely heard about Bitcoin before, like around 2014, but back then it was more like, you know, some magic internet money scam and I yeah. didn't take it seriously. But finally in 2017, I decided to figure out like how exactly it works and why it's big. And uh, I kind of fell into this rabbit hole. And uh, since I was, I'm a researcher I like by nature and uh, by education, uh, like it took me a while to figure out. And when once it clicked, I decided I want to break into this industry no matter how it goes. So I started uh, writing some education content and medium, basically trying to explain the things that I figure out myself in the most detailed way, because usually they're like either super technical content or very shallow. So there is like nothing in between. So I decided to fill this gap. So it was a quite successful article in Medium describing how exactly Nicomoto consensus works and deciphering all this POS, POW, and like all these acronyms. Went to Berlin, just like look at this purchasing crypto space and met Marcel, whom I'm going to talk in the future at a conference. And he said like, hey, we're like doing some crypto startup. Why don't you join? Back then I was doing a postdoc. So I just have a part-time gig. Uh, so it turned out that they were developing a consensus protocol for IoT devices called Helix. Yeah, that was like pretty fascinating. It was like fork of IOTA and everything was sort of new. And I already knew about IOTA and like basically some stuff. I was genuinely interested in how the consensus protocol works. So I started the part-time research first, and then I became uh, a full-time employee and then finally became a chief scientist. So my goal was to figure out how to make a scalable consensus protocol and also work with the uh, development team. Everything was kind of shiny and rainbow until the bear market hit. <laughs> and at, at some point, it turned out that like the seed investment that the guys had, it was also in crypto. So at some point, basically there was no money and we had to like shut down the shop. Uh, yeah, it was very valuable lesson, I would say. Uh, still like a lot of uh, fun, a lot of experience. Uh, and like around that time, I joined a blockchain company called Joystream. So they are building a decentralized YouTube on Substrate. I didn't know much about Substrate and the Polkadot X system back then, 
but it is uh, reasonable that in order to have some meaningful complex business logic you would basically need to have an execution environment kind of fit into the purpose rather than just uh, deploying like a very huge and heavy smart contract which would probably have hard times uh, working uh, due to scalability issues on ethereum so that's how i started at joystream and the main goal was to make sure that the users have experience similar to what they have on youtube and uh, it's mostly about how fast you can iterate with the blockchain and it was pretty clear that it is not feasible just to talk to the blockchain nodes directly because we just cannot retrieve the information fast enough not to mention that you cannot have any history or filtering or searching around them and my goal was to figure out how to do a middleware solution so that you can pull this data search around it and then we already have had the graph and then like it, it's skyrocketed in ethereum so it was more or less clear how exactly uh like the whole paradigm gonna work and so we decided to build a framework so you can specify which data you want to pull you specify how exactly you want to decode it from the blockchain and uh, then you will get an api server out of the box so maybe that it kind of tell us that at a high level the basics of what subsquid does for the users yeah in a nutshell this is like what we call a query node so a query node is like a middleware which transforms your like, very raw and hard to get by data from blockchain to something that you can use on the front end so for example on a mob mobile or web application so imagine like you have a blockchain like for example, Ethereum or Substrate, no, no matter what, and you have an application like a, a DAP or a smart contract, and you have transactions. And transactions are basically blobs of bytes. And when you have a blockchain interface, what you can do with this node is basically ask it, like, give me all the transactions happened in block 2,500,000. And you just like get a list of transactions. And you cannot really say what's in there until you decode this and you kind of say like, oh, hey, like, can you give me transactions which match this specific pattern for me? But when you look at the interface layer, you would need to, for example, show NFTs, which showing dogs you know, started with specific rarity or like with a brown fur. You cannot really ask a blockchain to show this. In order to do that, you would need to first aggregate this data somewhere decipher the transactions, and then you can ask this aggregated, the well-prepared data to respond to this query. Like, give me all the docs with the brown fur that were minted in August, 2021. And this is something completely impossible to do if you're speaking to blockchain in the raw format. That's interesting. I mean, how did you just, I guess, kind of wake up and decide that you guys want to start SubSquid anyway? Actually, it was like a very natural decision because, as I said, I was at the Joystream and that was basically an internal project that I've been working on for a year. And at the very beginning, even submitted a proof of concept to a hackathon called Hackersama. So it was a hackathon focused on the Dotsama, like Kusama ecosystem. And like we won the infrastructure track. So it was pretty clear that this problem that we're solving is really ubiquitous. So in order to have any meaningful application, you would need this middleware layer. 
and uh, the graph was like a very like glaring validation for this idea. So, but inside the choice stream, like we didn't have enough resources to package it as a product because the just like my, uh, a colleague of mine and myself, so we couldn't even keep up uh, with the documentation. So, um, like supporting other projects is really hard because we were really focusing on the features that the choice stream needed, and at the same time we're eating our own dog's food. So, from one side, it was very clear what to do on the other side it was clear that we don't have enough resources to make it and in may 2021 marcel from berlin from the helix time <laughs> comes to the stage for the second time and said like hey what's up like uh, what are you doing i mean like long time no see so i just like got a did investor and he's interested in investing in a crypto company but like we're looking for a good ideas and good investment and like three seed stage basically <laughs> like do you have any ideas and then at that point i kind of like say well yeah um yeah i do, I do have one <laughs> i kind of <laughs> been working it for a year now and um yeah, it was pretty obvious what to do at that point because we got this pre-seed money. We started and incorporated in Switzerland, and Marcel took all the legal stuff uh, like with incorporating and like getting this first uh, first check. We hired a key developer elder who like really supercharged our development effort, and like in a, about three months, we were able to like really polish and bring this product to the next level. And we make an, a presentation at a Substrate Builders program, which we're like already in there from the Joystream times. But with the new version, we got really lots of interest from the new projects in the Substrate space. And people just tried it and started to feel like how better DevUX they have compared to the, like, the others. And that's how we secured our first customers. And then things kind of unrolled pretty quickly. So we went on to the seed round and yeah, we got our subscribe about in three weeks, I think. It was like, kind of came as a surprise basically. Can you kind of disclose what you guys, how much you guys decided to raise? Actually, we're kind of humble and like we didn't expect that much of attention. So it was like a very moderate valuation, 26 million for like a seed stage, assuming that we had an already working product and people were liking us back now like it seems that we could have priced it at like at least double that but nevertheless uh yeah we weren't quite sure so we got a lot of support from jack flats and hypersphere as leading investors and like this really hyper boosted us so i think it's mostly due to their support that we get so much attention from the both vc angel and like all the space yeah any other notable uh, investors on the cap table? Actually, we're like have quite a lot. So there's like about half half uh, VC angels. I would mention Z Prime Capital. This is like an investment arm behind HydroDX for also our uh, key uh, partners with the integration. So they're actually using our product and they really helped basically saying that yeah this shit works <laughs> so basically and we also got like dfg and lattice capital and like a few people from the web3 foundation and from parity and also we are really proud of having quite a lot of people who are actually building on substrate so people from chain flip for example 
So, yeah, there is actually quite a big list. What's your current size of the team and how are you guys organized? We're about 15 at the moment. So we have obviously the biggest part is the dev team. Then we have business development. Operate Marcel is doing uh, financial stuff. Roman is leading marketing efforts and uh, Evgeny Forslit is doing operations and I'm also spend quite a lot of time with operations. When it comes to development, we have three teams. The core team, which is responsible for polishing up and improving performance of our core product, the Hydro framework. We have a hosted service team, which is like a big chunk uh, building infrastructure for deploying and hosting APIs. So not only you can use a framework to build up the thing locally and deploy it on your own premises, but like in the next release that we will roll out before Christmas, you will be able to actually host your API in our infrastructure. And finally, we have integrations team, which uh, makes integrations with our partners and helps them to resolve any issues. Are you guys all located in Switzerland or are you guys distributed remote? We're remote and distributed like from the day one. So... Uh, most of our team is actually based in Russia, in different cities, uh, like in Moscow, in uh, Omsk. Some people are in India. I'm in between Austria, like Budapest and St. Petersburg in Russia. Yeah, Marcel is in between like Berlin and Switzerland. So yeah, I think it's kind of hard to get everyone uh, in Switzerland at the same time. That's cool. And so... Why did you decide to build on the Kusama Polkadot ecosystem and maybe explain that? And did you just see kind of more of a niche that wasn't being served yet? Yeah, that's a pretty much it. I think it's a combination of the things. First, I think it's the biggest upside because like Ethereum is kind of big and there is like already quite a, like a notable leader there, the graph. So it is kind of hard to compete and a much better strategy is to do things better in a niche, especially when it comes to the growth right? So for example, in China, Polkadot is the most active community. And I see like a lot of traction around the world and like the amount of uh, innovation here is just like staggering. And also I found Polkadot as the most developer friendly thing really, because people are so open to share. We were substrate builders from the day one and like the amount of help both in like in technology introductions, VC funding, everything is just like top notch. Uh, I feel like so entitled to be honest. So I don't think there is like anywhere else uh, get so much support from different people. Everyone is so free to share all the information, like all the like, advice, everything. When you say substrate, can you kind of explain that for the listeners? Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. So substrate is basically like a framework. The main difference with other L1s for example, like Solana or Ethereum, is that you have like one single chain and you build applications on top of it, like smart contracts. In a substrate, the philosophy is more like you take a framework, basically a template, and then you add new features to your own blockchain. So it's like one depth, one chain. And then these chains communicate through each other through what is called relay chains. Relay chain is basically like a hub and there are like two main relay chains, it's Kusama and Polkadot. This kind of brings uh, more builder mentality, I think, because you're not really constrained by anything. You are free to choose your own block times, like consensus roles, 
more or less anything because it's like a Lego. So substrate is like basically a lot of building blocks you can stack together. You already have something working as a node template, and then you can tweak it and you can change everything. While on Ethereum, you're really constrained by the EVM and the rules, but you cannot change, for example, the transaction propagation time, like the block, the block time. You cannot do anything with the congestion. While in substrate, you're yeah, you do whatever you want. Is there anything that might kind of work against you in the substrate environment versus being on Ethereum or Solana? Yeah, I mean, certainly you can like shoot me your own leg. I mean, you could do things, but there is like a lot of reference materials and normally you don't just touch the things that is really dangerous. So you don't really touch the networking layer, for example, or the consensus layer. And that mostly people are adding business logic, but then you can optimize it. And do a lot of stuff that's just not available anywhere so for example on-chain workers so for example you can do off-chain api requests directly from your node and yeah the whole concept that you have blockchains and they communicate to each other through a special protocol and i guess you no know, also for our listeners that may not be so technical can you elaborate more on why web3 requires these apis why i guess the applications right need the data yeah so pretty similar how like web 2.0 say works if you look at youtube or twitter or like any other application that we use every day you have a website the front end and you have a service or usually like multiple services which serve this data so you load the website and you request information from some endpoint and then it's rendered web 3.0 is not much different from this model because you still have a browser, still have a backend, but the main difference is who actually controls like what's going on behind the scenes, like what's actually on the backend. And the web 3 premise is that you cannot really have a situation where, say, Mark Zuckerberg comes and says, okay, right, from, from now on, we're like banning boobs on Instagram, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because the community will be able to fork and run exactly the same website with a different set of rules if you just don't like it. So Web3.0 is not, to me, is not more about technology, but it's more about like changing the power structure. So you move the ownership to the users rather than just to some uh, shady CEOs. <laughs> From shady CEOs to shady super coders. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe walk, walk us through like some examples of like how exact applications that people are going to utilize and kind of what you guys do in the background there. Mm. Yeah, so one of the early examples of our use cases was like a crowd loan tracker for Basilisk, which is a Kusama substrate of uh, HydroDX. There is Kusama and in order to be able to connect to this and to speak to other chains, you need to secure a slot, basically pay for this connection. Usually it costs quite a lot of money. So being locked for a certain period of time, basically a year, and normally a project doesn't have enough resources for that. So they ask the community and supporters to loan them a certain amount of Kusama for a year. They lock it and if they win this slot, they reward them with their native tokens. If they win such a slot, then they can communicate to other card chains and basically build their business as they expected. So Basilisk went on this path. They participated in the uh, 
crowd loan. So they basically ask their supporters to lock Kusama tokens in order to help them win this slot. And then based on these contributions, they add additional rewards calculated in, in a like fairly non-trivial logic so that not only you get some standard thing, but you can have more tokens if you, for example, contributed earlier on, or later than the others. So depending on your conviction, you will get more. So there's like a fairly complex logic how these rewards are calculated. And what they did, they basically listen everything that happens on chain, on Kusama, uh, aggregate it, show it as a live real-time website showing like how much Kusama tokens were locked, how much uh, contributors were there. And this is like a very fancy site with a huge basilisk. Uh, and so all this data that were coming from the Kusama chain, all this logic and everything that is being served to the front-end API, that was done on Subsquid. What they did is that they utilized our technology in order to listen to this data in real time listen to these events emitted by the Kusama blockchain, apply this logic, do aggregations, collect statistics, and show this information on their website. Something that would have been like very difficult, if not impossible to do, like without this middleware provided by Subsquid. Got it. And I mean, how easy is that for somebody to implement to display that data and explain that process, I guess? Yeah, so first of all, you should figure out like which data you're listening to in Kusama or like any other substrate chain. And you put this into a manifest file. So we just basically list the events that you're listening to. And the next step is to describe the logic for extracting and transformation to your data. So you start with, basically you describe your API. Usually you ask your front-end guys to do that, like what kind of data you want to show on your website. They say, okay, I want to do this, 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 and this. They basically describe it in a special language called schema file. And once you have this API and you have the data that you want to get through the blockchain, you need a glue, like a glue code, which takes something from blockchain, like a JSON, basically some unstructured data and transform it into something that the front end guys told you you have on the API. And you put it into like a small, code snippet on TypeScript. It's uh, it's basically like transforming A and B to, I don't know, Baba, for example. <laughs> Taking one JSON and putting into another, <laughs> kind of this kind of stuff. And then that's it. The rest, uh, like everything related to fetching the data from blockchain, running the API server, serving requests, doing the right database connections, doing the right SQL requests and retrieving this data, everything is done automatically by Subsquid. What do you see as the future applications that are going to be the most in demand for Subsquid? From the very beginning, our goal was to allow the most complex applications to be used. So, and I think this is one of the like strong sides of the Substrate ecosystem uh, in general, because like Joystream, one can build like a very complex logic with like hundred of entities or like tables. And this is where Subsquid shines because from day zero, our focus was on DevUX. Because if you just want to show like for a simple logic or a simple dashboard, you can 
usually go with even some homegrown middleware or like some standard solutions. But when it comes to say hundreds or like even thousands of methods, then the key part is like how you can sustain this and how easy it is to develop this stuff. And here, everything that goes to testing, type safety and speed of iterations, this becomes most important. So for example, if you have to wait like a, a day or two before you have an upgrade or like you found the bug, you fixed it and you still want to still have to wait two days until your thing got updated, then it's just not going to work. At Subsquid, we designed our solution so that you have a very quick iterations and local host. We catch like most of the errors at compile time because we have strict type safety for all the events and extrinsics. And I think this is what really is the future, not only like a very focused dev UX, but also the possibility to use different data sources and being able to move the boundaries of what it is possible to serve on the dev level. When it comes to the graph, for example, everything is contained in a black box environment. So if you want to add some additional features or like, I don't know, have a price feed from CoinGecko, you cannot do this because you're very limited on like what is inside this environment. It's kind of very stripped away. But we decided like to push this boundary like as much as we can and allow developers to do pretty much anything. And uh, yeah, I think in a multi-blockchain in an open world, there will be like some really crazy APIs. <laughs> I guess that kind of goes into the next thing is like, you know, I guess as data is, I don't know if I'm going to call it fragmented, you know, across many different applications. I mean, does it just get harder and harder to query and kind of explain that? Yeah. So it's indeed like a very interesting situation where the data is open and everyone can peek into it and there's the ubiquitous, but it's getting more and more difficult to get sense out of this data for example like this solana is kind of open but unless you're like a super beefy solana validator you cannot really have any meaningful tool biggest market opportunity is to make sense of this data and we already see this like on a lot of billion like level funding from alchemy dune analytics Whoever is the king of the data, I think, is the king of Web3. Well, I mean, as the number of decentralized apps grow, how do you see the future of API framework infrastructures develop? Yeah, it's like a very interesting question. I think that we are in the world where the original cyberpunk premise that everyone is kind of running some tiny piece of software on a laptop not going to work. So I think it's going to be uh, like a semi-professional, I think, but it is possible to have it sort of in a reasonable scale. So for example, if you look at the validators in Substrate or like other chains, normally these are medium-sized SAS companies. And this is how I see decentralized APIs working. So we have like a bunch of like medium or large-sized SAS companies. And the decentralization is achieved not through hosting something on your laptop, but the ability to quickly change your provider. So if the switching costs is next to zero, then to me, it actually means decentralization because that means that I'm a customer and I can decide. So I'm not really locked up 
this is how we say that subsequent and building a marketplace instead of like going the graph way where requests are routed randomly to some indexers that are basically anonymous you never know like who's exactly serving your request you are just going a more familiar sas way you just find which infrastructure provider serves best and you have a fixed sla you have fixed subscription fees if you're not satisfied with the service you just switch to another one and the decentralization here comes from the fact that all the cash flows are on chain and you have uh, like reputation on chain and you have a community around this. So you know who we're actually dealing with and at the same time, you're free to choose what you do here. Can you kind of explain how our transactions kind of processed or how do you guys generate revenue for Subsquid? So Subsquid right now is a company. So we are going fast of this fragile decentralization. So we deliberately not charge anything right now. So our services are free, even though it would have been like possible to do this. But our goal is to go uh, to a token-based subsequent DAO and the marketplace where infrastructure providers will set their pricing based on the needs. And it will be up to them how much they charge for monthly subscriptions. If they can charge 1,000 a month, they have this. So, so be it if they can sell it. At the same time, the revenues, uh, if one can say, like DAO, will come as a tax that has to be paid in subsequent tokens. So uh, as an infrastructure provider, for example, you get your revenue and uh, you can get in stable points. So it's not really bound to the subsequent token, but you would need to buy or convert on the uh, open market some of this revenues to a subsequent token. And part of it is going to be burned and part goes to the treasury. And this is how there will be a demand for subsequent tokens. And at the same time, this is how we are going to gauge the amount of work performed by a specific infrastructure provider. And this amount of taxes paid by like a self-reported amount of taxes will influence the amount of rewards distributed by the network. How long do you see it taking to kind of launch the DAO token? Um, so... This is again uh, a gradual process. So the token itself is going to be launched in Q1. And the next step would be to have a marketplace with the gradual rollout of the features. So like the very first iteration will be manually approved and onboarded infrastructure providers. We are working with uh, key validator services. I'm not going to drop names, but these are basically quite known in, in the space. So they will be already a valuable service to the users. And then we will add governance things. So for example, after five years, there will be a important governance process related to whether mint new tokens and uh, continue the rewards program we are inflation or just cut the rewards down to one digit percent. And also uh, there will be eventually governance process related to the listing on infrastructure providers in the important. I mean, do you think it's necessary for all projects to have a token and, and to go to decentralization? I, like, if you were to ask me this question in 2018, I would say no. <laughs> <But> <laughs> right now, I would actually say probably yes, because I see the token as a, like, a social glue, so to speak. It's really like alignment of different incentives from different users. 
having a token just because you want to like uh, bound payments to this is kind of dumb and doesn't work. But having a token in order to align and to make it a shelling point for different parties, uh, I think does make sense. It becomes like um, like a simple community. From your competitors, right? Do you see any competitors in your area that you have to watch out for? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, they're like all well known. The graph, which is definitely uh, OG in the space, and yep. uh, they they are kind of uh, every known in them. And also, there's this uh, guys uh, subquery, which are in the substrate space. Yeah, um, that's kind of I think more of a validation that there is a like, huge need for this, and I'm actually pretty okay with that because it uh, makes us like more assets faster, I guess, and I can be better. What do you think? There'll be more consolidated players or do you think there'll be a lot more kind of competitors that come on in the next few years? That's uh, like hard to say. I think there will be like two, three different plays and different ecosystems probably. Uh, one can compare it with the situation with Chainlink and other oracles. So there was first Chainlink was like at the surface kind of the only Oracle provider out there, but then there was like band protocol, which hit billion plus valuation pretty fast. And I think they're quite okay doing this. So I'm convinced that we're in a very early stage and uh, yeah, how it going to evolve will probably change a lot. Like even like from the decentralization perspective, I think the DAOs should eventually decide which technology to use and whether there should be a backup scenario so that you actually have two solutions simultaneously rather than just say, for example, only the graph or only subsquid or like only subquery. Well, do you guys have any plans to expand outside like the Polkadot Kusama ecosystem? We definitely want to expand to other L1s. I don't want to say uh, like any specific names as of now because these are all just plans. But I do see like a lot of opportunity in L1s with like 10 plus billion capitalization, which just don't have any indexing solutions at all. I think there is the space is like so big and there are so many opportunities out there. So. And what else do you guys have, you know, as far as a roadmap standpoint, you know, next few years and what do you guys plan to execute and how do you see yourselves, let's say five years out from now? Uh, yeah, as I say, uh, five years from now, uh, I would like to see uh, Subsquid as a API, which makes you possible to do multi-chain, multi-source, and at the same time, flexible API from the development point of view. And from the infrastructure and ecosystem point of view, I would say that we have a pretty developed ecosystem of infrastructure providers which uh, provide this basic utility of hosting these APIs, but not all of them are equal and doing the same stuff. And they differentiate themselves, not just by the pricing, but the additional services that they offer at top. So for example, some may be able to offer some recommendation services, like some AI on top. Some may be able to have uh, to offer some statistics and like some deeper data analysis. And so I think this is kind of convergence between different protocols that we see right now. So for example, like the graph and Dune analytics, right? I say it more of a, like a zoo of things and you would basically have a Swiss army knife then you can choose an infrastructure providers. And at the same time, the DAO, will probably sign this contract. So it will be like business to DAO 
I mean, we've seen maybe a little bit of lack of participation in some of the DAOs. How do you think that'll kind of improve over time or maybe be better incentivized? I think the delegation should solve this. So, uh, because there are definitely like people who are very technically able and like spent a lot of time figuring out how things works and they're just like token holders. And there are some opinion leaders who just emerge on their own because they're just like out there and it's usually pretty obvious who controls the mind, so to speak. And um, I think that's kind of how things work and people just delegate and signal who, who they trust. In that respect, I think there will be some form of a parliament or like democracy. And uh, we already have more or less okayish models in like real world democracy and the, the government. So uh, I tend to say that probably they will be just replicated in smaller scale. So like maybe some chambers of parliaments and like some elections, something like this. I'm a very big fan of like what the Joystream guys are doing. So we have this uh, like founding members. And this is how they bootstrap their DAO with like very active and like, very dedicated community members. So they got like this NFT pages, crafted profile pictures, like very fancy. So yeah, I think uh, these communities are more like a smaller scale nation states, I would say. That's interesting. That's interesting. For the listeners, I mean, what should where should they go to learn more about Subsquid or interact or stay up to date on the news? Yeah, so first of all, uh, go to our website, subsquid.io, and there you will find links to our Telegram and Discord. It's very active, and we have an open ocean console program, so there will be like a lot more stuff. This is the only way to secure Subsquid tokens in advance as of now. And there will be also a lot of hackathons on top of the Gitcoin one that is ongoing. It's still time to jump in and it's rewarded pretty handsomely. Even if you're not technical, but you're like uh, very good at memes, then you can secure a big bag and then at some point it can bring you millions and you just retire out of memes. <laughs> and same works with Subsquid. Yeah, you can just like join, like be active and like who knows. I appreciate that, Dimitri. I appreciate having you on and hope you enjoy your day. Yeah, thanks a lot. Like super interesting conversation and for very insightful questions. And uh, yeah, hopefully like one day we'll be in like a follow-up session. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much.